0: Welcome back into another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. Kyle, welcome back, man. How's it feel?
1: It's good to be back. We got NBA playoff basketball rolling right away, so we're hitting the ground running.
0: Yeah, yeah, back just in time for the NBA playoffs. I mean, you, you couldn't have timed it much better. Um, speaking of the playoffs, the Raptors, Raptors fans, if you, if you didn't listen to the post-game pod after game one, off to a 1-0 series lead. Got a 134-110 win over the Brooklyn Nets in game one. Led wire to wire. Fred Van Vliet was on fire. And I didn't mean to rhyme. I'm not trying to go Walt Frazier on you. Uh, but 30 points, 8 for 10 from 3, 11 15 from the field, 11 assists. Um, was one of seven Raptors to finish in double figures. Uh, again, led by as many as 33 points. I think the Nets had fans sweating a little bit with their comeback down by nine going to the fourth quarter. but. They took care of business, uh, for sure. Kyle, I don't know if you had any big takeaways from that game or anything that stood out to you from when you watched game one or or what you saw from game one.
1: Of course it was a big takeaway. It was a Raptors game one in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and they actually won. I mean, they were going into this game one in ten all time in game ones in the first round of the NBA playoffs. We know that last year, uh, how could you forget Kyle Lowry scoring zero points in their game one loss to the Magic. And I mean, you never know what you're going to get out of the Raptors in in round one, game one. It was a pleasant surprise to see them actually come out, uh, fire and come out with some intensity. But I think they learned that from watching the Brooklyn Nets beat up on some teams in the seeding games, just from out hustling them, just from playing a little bit harder, just from, you know, exerting a little bit more effort than the teams they're going up against teams thought maybe, you know, with all the guys they have out from injury and COVID and guys that didn't make it into the bubble that, you know, maybe you can take a game off and, and still pick up an easy win. And I think the Raptors learned from those mistakes of other teams in the bubble. They came out gunning yesterday, uh, like you said, 134 points. That's a franchise record in game one. And anytime time that the Raptors can come out and pick up that round one, game one win, I mean, it's so uncommon. It's only the second time in franchise history. Uh, you know, they're getting out to a, a good start. And I mean, that's exactly how they want to start the postseason. Like Fred VanVleet said, one down, 15 more to go.
0: Yeah, I I liked how you mentioned last year's game one and and Kyle Lowry's performance specifically because this past game one, you saw Kyle Lowry go three for 14, Pascal Siakam four for 13. And we didn't really talk much about Kyle Lowry's uh, three for 14, but they talked a lot about Pascal Siakam uh, going four for 13 in game one. And and the focus, I think, shifts now to game two and can he bounce back and, and, and what that bounce back will look like. Um, something that Nick Nurse kind of hinted at was that he absorbed a lot of contact, which I think is a nice way of saying uh, the refs kind of swallowed the whistle a couple of times. Pascal even said, I need to finish some more, but he was playing through a lot of contact and um, the Nets don't necessarily have as much size as they normally do with DeAndre Jordan not being there and Nick Claxton not being there, but they were playing very physical with Pascal. and I think that that uh, contributed to his being four for 13 from the field. Now he went nine for nine from the free throw line, finished with 18 points, but I think that's one thing uh, that we have as a, a thing to watch for in game two, how can Pascal Siakam bounce back and, and not putting too much stock into his performance in game one? So what do you see from him in game two? Well, First
1: off, I think that seems to be a reoccurring trend so far in the playoffs. These budding superstars are starting to get a little upset that they're not getting those superstar calls. Cause we saw yesterday on Twitter, went a little viral that Jason Tatum had been a little frustrated with not getting the superstar calls that he feels like he deserves. Now it seems like Pascal Siakam is kind of feeling the same way that he's not getting that superstar treatment that he feels that he's starting to deserve. But like you said, I mean, we just got to see Pascal Siakam continue to get to the free throw line because those are easy buckets. He went nine for nine yesterday, and that's really important. That's an easy way to, to bump up that point total. But I really want to see him start to get comfortable on offense. It seems like he's tense. It seems like he's tight. It's been that way the entire time in the bubble so far. He's been struggling. He hasn't been shooting as efficiently as he normally does. And I don't know if that's because now that he's the number one guy, people have a little bit more footage on him from last year and that deep postseason run as he succeeded as the number two guy. And I mean, you got to remember, that was one of the biggest questions going into the Raptors postseason last year. It was, can Pascal Siakam be the number two guy? And that was the number one question going into this season. Can he be the number one guy now? Uh, and, you know, you have to ask that, ask yourself that question again, once it hits that postseason threshold. So it's really important to watch him, uh, you know, going forward in game two, especially right, right away. And the sooner the better, just getting off on that good foot. And getting comfortable on offense, really starting to get back to his spots and create where he's comfortable, because right now it just seems like he's a little tense. It seems like he's forcing, forcing things a little bit. And I think the offense will come to him a little bit more as as things start to open up. And especially if guys like Fred VanVleet can keep knocking down that outside shot if Kyle Lowry can start knocking down that outside shot it should open up things inside for him a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it, <clears throat> interesting. You talk about that. You mentioned those guys and our Carlin Gay on NBA dot com talked about uh, what Fred VanVleet said after the game he said you know you guys can worry about Pascal being able to be that number one I'm not worried about him um, and, and that um, is kind of what you think about with him and, and this team is, is a team that kind of does it by committee there's a lot of guys who can score a lot of guys who can fill it up and it's not just on one guy um, so it's going to be interesting to, to see how he figures it out um and and what he does and, and again what those other guys do as well um you know you mentioned game one struggles and and on the other side of it Karis Lavert was a guy who's been on fire all season uh, ever since uh he was the guy who's shouldering all the offensive load pretty much it's really just him and joe harris down there um you saw in game one they the raptors were really really aggressive defensively uh he was five for 15 five or five for 15 from the five 14 from the field excuse me uh 15 points um but also dished out 15 assists so um, that's something that, you know, I, looking at the numbers closer, I, I didn't realize that Karis LeVert was really capable of doing those type of things and being a playmaker. Um, but simply put, the Nets aren't going to win if he can't get at least 20 points on the board. So what do you think that he can do to kind of get more involved? One thing Joe Harris said is trying to get Karis out in transition a little more and get him some easy buckets to maybe get him going. But if the Raptors are going to be so aggressive guarding him, they've, they've done a great job all season shutting down star players. What can Karis LeVert even do?
1: I think to back you up a little bit, or to kind of revert back to what I just said about Pascal Siakam, I think the same goes for Karis LeVert right now. I mean, this is a guy who normally, if this team was at full strength, would be expected to be the number three option. But here we are, Karis LeVert is their number one option going into the postseason. And as impressive, he's been as a scorer in the bubble in this season as a whole. I mean, he had that 50-point game against the Celtics, one of what, two or three people to have 50-point games this season. This guy can flat out score. But now that you're looking at, you're studying more game film on him, I mean, Nick Nurse is surrounding the Raptors entire game plan on trying to stop Karis Levert that makes his life a lot tougher and he acknowledged that and you admit it and uh, you had wrote about that in your three things to watch for game two he had talked about how he felt like the Raptors did a good job ja- um, a good job of attacking the traps and they made things difficult for him once he tried to get into that lane where he likes to score uh, I mean it, it's all it's obviously encouraging that he was able to dish out a team high 15 or a career high 15 assists And that's a really impressive number. And that's an impressive feat for a player like this, who's still trying to figure out how to adapt to being the number one guy. But at the same time, that's not necessarily where the Nets need him. I mean, the Nets need him to score. If this team is going to keep up with the Raptors, they're going to need Karis LeVert to score more than he did, score more efficiently than he did. Obviously, they're going to be happy with him dishing out 15 assists, given the circumstances with how much attention was focused on him defensively. But they are going to need him to start scoring more. And also, as you mentioned in, you know, your three things to watch for game two. Joe Harris said it himself that they need to get him out in transition. And that's easier said than done against the Raptors because they're so good at, you know, stopping teams from getting out in transition because they're so fast getting back on defense and they have so many guys that can just pick up anywhere. They're not afraid about, you know, who's matched up with who they have five guys on the floor. They're comfortable switching on to just about anybody. So that makes that a little more difficult. But I think that is going to be something that's extremely important if Karis LeVert's going to get going in, in game two, getting out in transition and you know, just kind of seeing the ball go through a hoop a couple more, go through the hoop a couple more times to get comfortable out there and start knocking down some, some more difficult shots.
0: Yeah, I think that's 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 very true. I think a huge key for them and their transition offense, honestly, is their half court defense. You know, when you're when you're taking the ball out of the net, as they were doing a lot last last game, they gave 134 points. It's harder to get the ball out going in, in transition. So I think the Nets will, will definitely be looking to to make some defensive adjustments. And before we get to that perfect time, you know, you mentioned a little bit of the, the three things to, to watch as well as what Carlin has written. Um, NBA.com throughout the entire postseason is going to be your source for all things playoffs. So just check in with us, continue to follow this series and every series. Um, As we were recording this, the Milwaukee Bucks fell in game one to the Orlando Magic in a shock to many, uh, except Raptors fans, they saw what losing to the Magic in game one could do for you last year. To be determined if that same fate awaits the Milwaukee Bucks, but we'll have coverage on that, what that means for Giannis and everything else for all eight first-round series, um, including the Raptors and Nets. Kyle, real quick, uh, before we wrap up, I, I was talking a little bit about the defensive adjustments. Um, And and one thing Fred Van Vliet kind of mentioned was that them playing the, the bigs were, were dropping down, allowing him to have a lot of space to pull up for threes. He hit eight threes, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Do you think the Nets will make some type of adjustments to slow Van Vliet down? And is that the beauty of the Raptors, that if they make adjustments for him, that just means somebody else is gonna hurt you like he said Fred Van Vliet said this
1: that they have a bunch of guys that they just care about the bottom line they want to win the game and they have a bunch of guys that they don't care what their stat line looks like as long as the team wins and I think that's where you know if they do make that adjustment there's going to be somebody else that's ready to step up they have so many guys that are capable of stepping up when you know, they keen in on Kyle Lowry a little bit more, keen in Siakam a little bit more, uh, you know, focusing on on Fred VanVleet a little bit more. But I think this is almost a respect thing. I mean, you got to start respecting this guy. He's been doing this the entire time in the bubble. He's been shooting the lights out. He does it again in game one. At, at what point do you realize that he's going to be somebody that you can't give him a second to shoot if he gets a second I mean, he has a quick release. He's going to get his shot off, and it's going in right now. I think that you you got to attack him a little bit more aggressively on pick and rolls, whether you have to hedge harder or you have to ice him out, maybe double-team him and try and make him more of a playmaker. And he is a playmaker. He's a good passer. But maybe force that hand a little bit more. I think that's what you're going to see from Brooklyn Nets in game two. But on top of that as well, I don't think that that really changes Pascal Siakam being the number one key focal point for the nets on defense i know they match up a little bit better with pascal siakam whether they're throwing you know jared allen out there at him or they're mixing up the the coverages and whatnot but i think that pascal siakam is still going to be their number one key on defense but fred VanVleet needs to get more attention otherwise they're going to see the same result that they saw in game one
0: yeah for sure uh, quick biggest key uh in game two could be for the raptors or the nets what do you what do you see
1: I think for the Nets, it's getting Karis LeVert going, like I was talking about before. I mean, that has to be the number one priority. 15 assists, career high is extremely impressive, but that's not where they need him. He's got to get to that. It's a lot to ask of Karis LeVert for, again, someone who, if this is your third option, you're looking pretty damn good right now. But you gotta get the ball, you gotta get the ball to Karis Levert in places that he's comfortable, whether you're setting multiple screens, whether you're getting switches to a matchup that's a little bit more favorable. It's a lot to ask of him, but you gotta get him to, you know, twenty five, almost thirty points if they're gonna have a chance at this one. Obviously they're gonna have to play better defense. And like you said, when you're taking the ball out of the net, it makes things a lot more difficult on the offensive end going against a set Raptors defense that I mean, you you could look at this, you could take a video of this Raptors defense, the way that they move and show it to youth basketball teams and say, this is exactly how you need to play man-to-man defense. It's that textbook. But I think that getting Karis LeVert going, getting him going offensively, scoring the ball is going to be the most important thing for the Brooklyn Nets.
0: Yeah, I think that, that that ties into exactly what I see as a big key uh, three point shooting has been something that the Nets kind of relied on, they hung their hat on that allowed them to shock a lot of teams during the seeding games. Uh, they gave up 22 threes and they hit 13 of their own, which isn't terrible unless you give up 22 threes. So, um, yeah, I think if they're able to even the playing field a little more, they're going to have to do it with, with the three-point, the three-ball. Three um, you know, Timotei Luau-Cabarro hit six of the 13 threes. You can't really expect him to go off like that again, but you could expect Joe Harris to, to maybe hit more than than three or or Garrett Temple to do a little bit better than one for ten. Uh, so I think that the three-ball is, is where the game is going to kind of uh, hinge on, but it will be the, uh, something to tune into and, and see how that goes. That is it for this time of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe. Give us a great rating wherever you get your podcasts from. Check back in with us post-game after game two, which is 1.30 p.m. August 19th on TSN in Canada and NBA TV in America. Um, Post-game, Carlin Gay will be back on here with Ashley docking for the post-game pod, so please check in for that as well. When you subscribe, you'll find out right away when it goes in. So until next time, for Kyle Irving, I'm Gil McGregor. And we will catch you again.